The following Knowledge at Wharton podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Additional support for this podcast comes from Wharton Executive Education. For more information on Wharton's executive courses on finance, please visit executiveeducation.wharton.upenn.edu. After a terrible August when the U.S. stock market appeared to be headed for the pits, October 1st saw a massive rally that sent the Dow Jones Industrial Average soaring above 14,000. Markets seem to be celebrating the effects of the Fed's interest rate cut, and media reports said money was pouring back into equities. The following day, however, stocks began to fall again because the National Association of Realtors reported a sharp drop in home sales. In short, Wall Street still seems to be sending out mixed signals. What will be the long-term effects of the Fed's decision to cut interest rates? Will the U.S. economy move past the subprime mortgage mess, or will it sink deeper into a morass and perhaps into a recession? What will be the effect of these developments on the European market? Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Jeremy Siegel, a finance professor at the school, and with Jacob Wallenberg, chairman of the board of Investor AB, which is listed on the Stockholm Stock Exchange and is the largest industrial holding company in the Nordic region. In addition, he is vice chairman of Sweden-based SEB. Jeremy Siegel and Jacob Wallenberg, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton Podcasts. Jeremy Siegel, you have been a consistent bull during this credit upheaval. Does the recent record price of the Dow vindicate your position? I'll tell you, I was taking a lot of heat from Knowledge at Wharton, the readers. Uh, <laughs> they were emailing and me, said, Jeremy, you don't look like you're very right here. Um, my position was that, yeah, that housing isn't a mess, but still the credit structure outside of housing was strong and the economy wouldn't go into a recession. Uh, what we saw was, though, that contagion and uncertainty just spread like wildfire, and the Fed stepped in appropriately, in my opinion. And now, I think with the Fed's backing, uh, we're getting a lot of confidence back. And after with lower interest rates, which I think is a, a good reason why the market is, is uh, rising again. Uh, Jacob Wallenberg, we just heard about all, all, all the problems in the U.S. market. Uh, have have the U.S. subprime crisis and the uh, credit crunch uh, had an impact in Europe as well? Yeah, of course it has. And uh, uh, I mean, anyone that follows European news would, would follow Northern Rock as, as a glaring example of, I guess, really the best example of, of this entire situation, because there we had a run on the bank, which is about the last thing any of us would w- w- dream of. So, so it just shows how fragile the system is uh, when we have a situation of this nature. Uh, so, of course, Europe is very much aware of, of what's going on and, and Europe is paying a price. We've seen a few banks in Europe uh, take uh, significant hits, been in the news the last few days. It's not only City that has problems. UBS uh, made a significant write-down, so did Credit Suisse. And I think you're going to see a few other players. We've seen uh, at least one German bank uh, being protected by the system. And uh, I think we're going to see more fallouts as the third quarter results are being announced. But what I think is interesting is that uh, Europeans are less aware of of the uh, very sort of nervous 
situation in this country that has uh, prevailed over the last two months. Uh, the reporting in European media, with the, with the glaring exception of the Financial Times, has been more moderate, whereas the Financial Times has, has been more concerned. Whereas if I call and speak to my American colleagues and friends, uh, those haven't been very happy calls over the last few months. <laughs> I think I think it's also imp- quite interesting about Northern Rock um, is that uh, Great Britain does not have the type of deposit insurance that we have in the United States. Uh, it's a it's a much more uh, uh, skeletal, uh, with just a few thousand pounds insured, and then a fraction of anything above that. And, and they're now debating about whether they should have the FDIC insurance that has actually been present in the United States for 70 years and really has prevented any bank run. And uh, But what happened in, in the U.K. was that the Bank of England had to come around. It was one of the few banks that didn't do much, and now it had to say, basically, we're backing the deposits. And that's put a lot of heat on Mervyn King and the, the, uh, the head of the, uh, the Bank of England, and they're really uh, now, now debating. So, yeah, it's had... Certainly, ramifications in, a, in in Europe and the United States. I, I don't see Asia yet involved, um, but uh, uh, there, there's certainly probably some touches there. Oh, reasonably. I mean, there, there will be investors that have uh, t- t- that have paper that will be affected one way or another, but maybe less so than than the others. Jeremy, how can you explain yesterday's stock market? Citibank and UBS reported huge write-downs, and yet their stocks rose. <laughs> yeah, it was. That did was sort of puzzling. I, I, I think uh, there's, there's a number of things, and it actually didn't surprise me after. Um, first of all, they cleared away. You know, they, these, are, these are our losses. This is our extent. And they also said it, uh, it was important. They said, we expect a much more normal environment in the fourth quarter. And that was very encouraging in the market. And, and third, and this is something I've been saying uh, in, in some of my um, uh, commentary in the last few weeks, is that we see loan demand coming back to the banks, uh, that uh, all this asset-backed commercial paper, so, much, uh, so many borrowers went directly to the market – the market now is way too expensive, uh, and what they're doing is coming back to the banks, and the banks are eventually going to get fees on those loans because they have direct access to the Fed and the discount window, the Fed funds, and those have reduced costs. So I, I think that really long run, this might be good for the banking system. Um, and I think maybe several others are thinking, boy, I'll tell you, they're cheap now. You pick up banks at 10 times earnings, 11 times earnings. People are thinking this might, this might be an opportunity for the future. Well, uh, so does that mean that the, the worst of the subprime uh, mess and the credit crunch is behind us? Or do you think that I think the worst is. I, I mean, I think the worst is. I mean, you, you know, everyone's going to say there's going to be a big bomb and there's going to be a hedge fund that's going to go under. A bank is going to find it has an awful lot. Well... We haven't heard anything recently. That's another thing that's moving up the market. You know, no news is good news. That's actually been, I think, the mantra of the market the last two months. No news is good news. We don't hear, we haven't heard any really big bombs. And they're they're taking their losses with the write-downs. Risks have risen now appropriately. They're falling for the good borrowers. We are We are slowly returning to normal here. 
I, I, I tend to agree with that, uh, especially the part no news is good news. Uh, that, that is hugely important because at the end of the day, this is all a matter of psychology. If the consumer sits on his hands because he or she is concerned, well, we have a serious problem on our hands. And, and that seems to slowly be going away. So, so let's just hope and keep our fingers crossed. But I think one thing and that or, or one question that goes through my mind as, as a banker is, of course, the, 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 the underlying economic uh, uh, consequences of this uh, or consequences of this and a lot of other things. Uh, you know, are, are we in the beginning of a downturn, a real downturn in this market or aren't we? And on that particular point, I don't think we've seen the answer yet. I, I, I'm, I'm down for 20. I, I've been saying 25% probability of recession. And um, most others have sort of gone up to around, well, certainly a, a 30, 35, 40, some 50. I'm on the low side. I'm on the optimistic side. Um, but I, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, 1% to 2% real growth, um, which is above the zero mark. Um, housing is still bad and will remain bad, but we've gone through, you know, a year of bad housing and still managed to stay above water. And uh, I think we can, I think we can continue to do that with 2008, then looking better towards mid-year and, and, and further beyond. How do you think the Fed under Ben Bernanke is handling monetary policy? If, if the troubles in real estate and mortgage um, markets continue, do you think there'll be more interest rate cuts? I, I think he's done. I think he's done extraordinarily well. Um, uh, you know, the first move I think it was uh, August seventeenth, with lowering the discount rate, borrowing. Um, the reason he didn't move the Fed funds rate then is that he 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 didn't have all the votes he needed on the Federal Open Market Committee to do that. But the governors themselves decided the discount rate. So it was sort of unprecedented, but he did that. And then to get a unanimous vote for a 50 basis point cut, uh, I thought was shows his powers of persuasion are excellent. He's a consensus builder par excellence. And uh, uh, I, I, let me tell you that going into that meeting on September 18th, he did not have uh, unanimity among the bank presidents, probably three or four, and he was able to convince them to go 50. I think it's right. There are risks, and I'd like to ask Jacob about that. We've seen what's happened to the dollar. Um, I think it's a little overdone in the markets. Uh, a, a plunging dollar is not good. It does bring about inflation. That's the only downside that one sees so far on that, but um, uh, it's, it's too short-term to really see how that plays out. I don't know what what your opinion is on that. Well, I, in, in all fairness, I'm I'm not an economist to start with. I'm I'm, I'm just trying to practice these things in day to day <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, but but of course, inflation has to be the outstanding question uh, at the end of the equation. And and uh, but you know that 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 is uh, reality. You don't have answers to everything uh, every day. We just have to wait and see how this pans out. The news coming in on inflation is is good. I mean, we don't like to see oil over eighty. Uh, although it's interesting because the actual uh, wholesale price of, of gasoline has stayed low, um, but um, uh, and and, uh, and and natural gas has also stayed very low. So those big uh, items that feed into the to the uh, CPI directly have not been up anywhere near as much as oil, and uh, we're getting moderate, very moderate readings. Well, as a European banker, then, is inflation your biggest concern? Or are there other issues that, that keep you up at night? 
Well, I mean, lately, uh, uh, inflation has been, uh, or over the last six months, inflation has been an issue. We've seen increasing interest rates, but then we saw the whole subprime uh, question coming in and, and, and uh, saw a reverse on the interest rate side. So, so I think it's the underlying risk that is the, 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 uh, on, as a consequence of the subprime situation that is the core issue, uh, if you ask anyone right now. And, and I think we are less... Uh, bankers are less comfortable with the situation. We're very happy that UBS and others came through and 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 uh, uh, put numbers on uh, what expected losses were. So at least we can start to box the situation. But you know, that's one thing. Yes, we're slightly less concerned, but it ain't over yet. So I think we'll, we're going to wait and see for a little while. I want to see what 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 comes out of this one. So that that is the the key question. But then, generally speaking, Euro, the European economy is not stuck in in a, more in a housing price situation, with the exceptional parts of England. Uh, so, so the the uh, the underlying economic development is uh, on a slightly more positive note. And we've seen that over the last two years where, well, not the least Germany uh, did, did quite well for some time, which, which was uh, in, very important. And overall, Europe is doing slightly better than the United States right now, which I think no one expected. And uh, it's, it's nice when we can beat the old mighty United <laughs> States at their own game. Economic growth. Well, you know, Germany has not had much uh, house inflation, but I hear that there's been some problems in Spain and uh, among the homeowners. I'm sure no, you find pockets. Yeah, uh, where there was a lot of speculation, and I think that uh, that really started, I think, earlier in the summer. Um, and so there are some pockets, uh, and, and, and it, it seems like London and, uh, and New York City keep on defying gravity by moving higher, uh, uh, fueled by those people who have a lot of money that are still bidding freely for real estate. We have more Russians in London than what you have in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Used to be the Arabs coming to London. Now are the Russians coming to London? <laughs> Absolutely. It's an important part of the yeah. equation. Uh, Jeremy said that he, he believes there's a 25% chance of a recession. I wonder if you also share that view, uh, Jacob. And, and if, if, if not, what do you think would be the consequences both for the U.S. and for Europe and the world economy? I, I'm not going to put a probability on it, but but I have a concern. Uh, I, uh, despite all the nice warming words, I, I think that there is a significant risk. And at the end of the day, if nothing else, for every day we're not into recession, we're at least one day closer to a recession. And we've had a prolonged period of, of high economic growth. Yeah, and, and I look at the way U.S. consumers have been behaving. I look at what Walmart uh, communicates and so on. And it's obvious that the U.S. consumer is cautious, uh, more cautious than before. Before, that might very well spill over in, in, into, uh, you know, that, that they're going to take it very, be very cautious as they move forward. And that could spill over in a recession or recession-like economic environment. Yeah, 
the question then is, of course, you know, will that spill over into the rest of the world or not? And what, what does China and India mean in this o- o- overall equation? Well, reasonably, yeah, the, 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 there are more cushions today than what we would have had 20 years ago. Yes, yeah, uh, reasonably, Europe is, is stronger today on its own uh, than before. So maybe it's not going to spill over entirely. But on the other hand, this mighty locomotive of the United States economy, despite the fact that I'm not an economist, I, I, I cannot see that the U.S. going into recession without that having some significant consequences in, in the rest of the world. I, I, I really can't see that happen. Now, significant, I mean that other parts of the world could go into recessions as well. But on the other hand, that's part of the game. It's even in the Bible, right? Seven good years and seven bad years. I mean, it's nothing peculiar about it. It's human psychology. We had ten good years, actually, Ah, between 90 and 2000. Ah, I'm sure we can find other exceptions. But it's more the principle, of course. And and so, you know, you have to learn to live with these things. And that's the the voice from reality. I I think we're more in a mid-cycle slow down, very much like 1995. After the Fed raised rates dramatically in, in 94, we had a big slowdown, but no recession in 95. And, and here we're also suffering the uh, fallout of uh, a rise in rates and excesses that come when the rates are low for a long time. And I think it's going to be the same. It's going to be a slowdown and then a pickup. Uh, at least that's what I hope because, you know, we had some – very good years, 96, 97, 98, 99, another four years of the expansion before it got also overblown by technology and all sorts of other things uh, that happened uh, later on. What would be the appropriate strategy for investors these days? Oh, I always uh, keep your eyes towards the long run. Uh, don't panic. I mean, uh, this was so evident what we saw this summer about all the doom and gloomers and, you know, this is the end and all that and, uh, you know, a lot of people got safer, and now they're sitting on the sidelines, and the market's back where it was, um, and they're sort of regretting it. Um, you know, if you if you stay in there for the long run and allocate properly, uh, you know, you you see the dips as times to buy. Sure, you're not going to hit the bottom, but and and I, I right now, for instance, I'm still very optimistic going forward. I, I don't, you know, as people are talking about this is just a a very short term rally over here. Um, I think that if there are no big surprises, and that's what I believe there will be, and, and risk will normalize going forward, that uh, earnings are, are very good. We, we Actually, it's a very interesting statistic that I read today is that um, we've only had half as many warnings for third quarter earnings, which are going to start being reported in earnest starting next week, at this point this year as opposed to last year. Um, and uh, 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 that's a good sign. That, uh, you know, you would think if the market was – if the economy was really tanking, you get a lot of warnings because if you want to know the truth, CEOs know now pretty much what it is. And if it's way off, they have to – they usually have to let that information out. And uh, so far, that has not been a particularly high number, and I think that that's also encouraging buyers. In- in- expectations may have been set a little too low. Uh, what can I say? I can, let, let's put it this way, slightly different. Uh, I, I think the uh, I very much echo uh, the view, if you have capital that you can deploy long term, 
Now, this, of course, is one of the great challenges we have today that most fund uh, investors, uh, fund managers and so on have to, to, to move very swiftly. And they're rarely willing to, to sit it out for a longer time for the simple reason that they're evaluated on a monthly or even more frequent basis. So you don't have the stamina because you're going to lose out vis-a-vis -vis the competition. Uh, and I think that is one of the great weaknesses of, of the system as we know it today, that, that people are so caught up in short-termism. And I'm now, I'm now talking about the way we invest capital, not how we run our companies. Uh, and, and so that will in itself be uh, a challenge for any fund manager today, uh, because I think it's going to be a bumpy road at the minimum. So you have to have a, the staying power if you're going to, so you can hang in there for a longer while, and then you could do fine. Uh, uh, Jeremy Siegel, Jacob Wallenberg, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upen.edu.